like to read for y'all today some scriptures that uh, on something that's been on my mind for a while now, uh, and that subject is, uh, who is the Holy Spirit, and what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit or to walk in the Spirit? Um, as Christians, I think we hear these phrases pretty often, but what does that actually mean? Um, at first, though, I, I want to tell you why this has been on my mind. Um, I have a friend back in Texas uh, who I've known for more than 10 years. And when I lived in the Dallas area, I would go to church with them occasionally. It was usually a non-denominational Baptist church. Uh, so a lot of what I heard there was, was pretty similar to what you, know, you might hear here. Um, and this friend, over the last couple of years, I've been talking to them on the phone. And uh, they've, you know, this person used to be very active in the church, worked in the church, was very involved, was always there whenever the doors were open. Um, and they were that way partially because that was the way their parents were. Over the last couple of years, when I've had conversations with this person on the phone, they've told me they're going to church less and less. And eventually they just quit going altogether. Um, and a couple of months ago, I was talking to them. And they said, well, you know, I don't even know that I want to be a Christian anymore, identified as a Christian. You know, I definitely still believe that there's a higher power, but I don't know that I necessarily believe in the Bible or that that's the truth. And when I asked them why they had come to this point or what what had kind of changed their mind about uh, this, you know, based on the way that they had been brought up and based on the way they were, uh, you know, for a long time, uh, they said, well, part of it was their upbringing. And um I don't want you to feel like I'm picking on one church, but they, they grew up in a, in a Pentecostal church for the most part. And if you've never heard of that or you don't know what that is, sometimes it's called a charismatic or apostolic church. Um, one of the largest denominations is the Assemblies of God. Uh, so um, this person had grown up in that church. Uh, and I'll just tell you, tell you what it is uh, for a second. That name Pentecostal comes from Acts 2. And I just want to read uh, about half of that chapter, uh, and it'll kind of give you an idea of, of why Pentecostals believe what they believe. Um, this is about, uh, I think, 50 days or maybe 10 days after. Uh, so 50 days after the resurrection and 10 days, I believe, after Jesus has risen again. He's, he's spoken to the apostles. He's departed once again. The apostles are gathered together in a house. Uh, and it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house that they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews. Devout men of God. So something to keep in mind is that when the Bible a lot of times says the Jews, they were all Jews. So they, it, their distinction that they're making there is they're talking about the religious people, the devout men that studied the scriptures and talked about the scriptures in the synagogue. Um, out of every nation under heaven. So this was Pentecost. So a lot of uh, Jews had traveled to Jerusalem uh, for Pentecost that were from, from other lands. And they didn't necessarily all speak the same language. They might have all understood Hebrew, but they all had their own uh, language that they had grown up with. Um, uh, devout men under, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised about... Abroad, And the multitude came together and were confounded or they were confused because that every man heard them speak in his own tongue. 
And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, uh, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and in Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that uh, correctly, uh, Pamphyla, uh, in Egypt and in parts of Libya and Cy- about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes uh, and Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So you notice they don't just say that they were just making noise. It was, it was understandable to them in their own language and they were specifically talking about the wonderful works of God. They were uh, hearing the gospel preached. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? And others mocked, saying, these men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, but seeing it is but the third hour of the day. In other words, it was 9 a.m., so it was early in the morning. Uh, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. In other words, people are going to be filled with the spirit. Um, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass, that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and signs and wonders, uh, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden to it. So Peter is telling them about Jesus, and he says, you know, this this was uh, a person sent by God, and you crucified him. And he goes on through the rest of the chapter and talks about Jesus, and many of the people there are convicted in their hearts, and they're, and they're converted, and, um, you know, God uses this moment to, to spread the gospel. Um, so that is where uh, the people that you know call themselves Pentecostal or Apostolic Christians get that name from is this passage. Um, so kind of a hallmark of that denomination is that they think that all believing Christians today should be anointed with the Holy Spirit. Um, and to them, to be anointed with the Spirit means that Christians today should be doing the things like speaking in tongues. And so that's very common when they, when they meet on Sundays. People will try to speak in tongues. Now in the Bible, you know, Paul tells us that speaking in tongues beyond here was, was meant as a way to convey the gospel. It was meant to be understandable. And if, if nobody could understand what you were saying, you were supposed to be quiet. Uh, because nobody could tell. You could be saying anything. Um, so... 
back when the Pentecostal movement was started, I think around 120 years ago, they realized pretty quickly that nobody could understand them when they when they tried to speak in the uh, in tongues. And so they said, well, it must be heavenly tongues that the angels can understand. And they called it glossolalia. So um, they beyond that, though, they believe that, you know, when you meet together on Sunday, you should see people getting healed. Uh, people should be being blessed and anointed. People should be prophesying uh, and even casting out demons. Uh, if you're truly filled with the Holy Spirit, you shouldn't be able to hold still in church. Right. You should you should be jumping and shouting. And, and in some cases, I've seen videos of people rolling around on the ground. And it, it seems like it's more than just joy to me. It's it's more than just being happy. It's it's really being out of control. Um, uh, so but they expect to see this every time you're in a service and they would look at us and say, well, that's a dead church. There's no Holy Spirit there because we don't see those outward signs. Um, so the problem, according to my friend that now at this point doesn't even want to be identified as a Christian um, and other people that I know that have left the Pentecostal church uh, is that they expect to see those things every Sunday. It is an expectation. Um, and in order to meet that expectation, people in that church sort of force them. They say, well, you know, I'm going to I'm going to make noise and say that I'm speaking in tongues um, I'm going to get saved repeatedly, get baptized repeatedly. Um, they're going to do all these things. And uh, it really turns people away because uh, they later on realize and admit to the fact that those are not genuine experiences. Those are things that are manufactured uh, or, or created by them, not the Holy Spirit, to please others, to please their pastor, to make their family happy or their friends happy, or just to get in involved with the same way that other people are acting. Um, so, you know, and I'll go beyond that. My friend, when they were a, a preteen and a teen, were going through some very typical teenage rebellious stuff, like talking back to their parents uh, and their parents, well-meaning, but said, well, my child would not be rebellious in this way. Uh, so they must have a spirit or a demon of, of rebellion in them. And they had to sit through most, multiple times where they were basically sat down and a bunch of preachers tried to cast demons out of them. You know, and my friend said, well, now I look it back on that and I say that's child abuse. And I agree with them. It, it seems pretty awful what they described they went through. Uh, but that turned them away from the church um, and, and Christianity in general. And I hope someday that they will come back to it, that they will realize that those experiences were not, you know, not of God. They were of people who were maybe well-meaning, but misdirected. Um, and I want to give you one other example that's kind of recently come up that has got me thinking on this subject. Um, so what, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Uh, there was a church in the 1980s in Australia called Hillsong, which was also affiliated with the Assemblies of God. And they started making contemporary Christian music. And it was very popular. If you listen to contemporary Christian music, you know what Hillsong is. Um, it's, you know, they make lots of music that tops the charts. Uh, it got so popular, it spread to the United States. And a lot of churches here started affiliating themselves with Hillsong. Uh, and a lot of people came in the doors because they knew the music and they liked the music. Churches became what you would call a mega church, having thousands and thousands of people. And there's lots of these all over the place. Um, sort of the hallmark of this church is very professional lighting, sound and stage management, uh, very well-polished worship leaders and singers. So it's, it's kind of, they're kind of known for that. It's, it's, it's a whole production. 
Um, recently, a few months ago, there was a documentary came out that said that was called Hillsong, a mega church exposed. And that documentary was talking about inappropriate relationships, abuse, financial mishandling. And a lot of people were upset about that. But what really surprised me is that that wasn't what a lot of the people that went to these churches were upset about. They were upset about the most the music because you had worship leaders and people that were coming on this documentary that were saying, look, we know exactly how to manipulate you. We know how to change the cadence of our voices, the volume that we speak at, the lighting, the songs that we're singing, everything. We know how to manipulate you. We know exactly when to ask you for money. And we do that intentionally in a very formulaic way to get you in the mood to give. And so a lot of people were upset about this because they said, no, wait, you told me that that feeling that I feel when you're singing and I'm listening and maybe singing along is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And now you're telling me that you manipulated that and you created that. So a lot of people were pretty disillusioned with that and upset with it. Um, You know, and another thing that has kind of moved people away from that is they say, look, I go out to a secular concert with a band that I like and they sound just the same and I get that same feeling. Does that mean that I'm being filled with the Holy Spirit when I go to a concert? Is, Is that the same thing or is that just the way that I feel when I hear music that I like? So um, I'm not I, I'm not telling you these uh, just to think I don't want you to think that I'm just picking on these two churches because I think that this can be a problem for all Christians. I think the common aspect here is that you have a fundamental dissatisfaction with the Holy Spirit. You're not happy with how the Holy Spirit is moving and how the Holy Spirit is working. You have an idea in your mind of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and it's not scriptural. If you actually read the scripture, it is not those things. Um, So you have churches that are defining being filled with the Spirit as sort of a routine, sort of deeply emotional experience or even performing miracles. And if they don't see that routinely happening every Sunday, they force it or they manufacture it. And this leads to a lot of people feeling it's fake or manipulated, and it is. Um, If you're trying to manufacture it, you're trying to help out the Holy Spirit to be there because you don't see the way that you want it to be. Um, So I started looking into the Scriptures uh, because to some degree I've also thought for a long time that being filled with the Spirit is sort of a vague, fuzzy, good feeling, right? You get to church, you enjoy the music, you enjoy the prayers, you enjoy the service, you enjoy the fellowship with other people. But is that really what being filled with the Holy Spirit is? Um, If you read the scriptures, being filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in the Holy Spirit is never just about having good feelings. Um, or even performing miracles. Although it certainly can be those things, it's far more than just that. Uh, So I want to read some scriptures to you about who the Holy Spirit is, what He does for us, and the effect that the Holy Spirit has on our lives. Um, So first off, the Holy Spirit, and sometimes in the KJV it's translated as the Holy Ghost, uh, or the Spirit of God, uh, is mentioned in the Old Testament. And Here are just a few examples. In Exodus 31.3, it says, um, it talks about the workmen who are making the tabernacle. And it says, and I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. So, so the Holy Spirit there is giving somebody wisdom and understanding in order to accomplish God's commands. 
later on in Micah, it talks about the prophets who were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Micah 3.8, it says, But truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment and might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. So here in the Old Testament, the prophet Micah is empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak those inconvenient truths to God's people about their disobedience and probably at great risk to himself. These prophets, if you read through these prophets, they were often showing up to condemn God's people and to to bring them back into obedience. And they were not well received when this happened. They, you know, People were not enthusiastic about being told that they were wrong. Um, And especially the kings. So you think about it. These prophets had to go before uh, a person that could just order their deaths, you know, like that. So they had to have strength by the Holy Spirit to go and do that. Um, You know, otherwise, I don't think that they of their own accord could probably walk in and do that knowing that they could be executed. Uh, So speaking of the prophets later on in the New Testament, it talks about John the Baptist, who I think is the final prophet. Right. John the Baptist is the person who came before the Lord. Um, and even his parents were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Luke 1, 15, it says, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. This is the angel talking to the parents. And shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So once again, we have somebody filled with the Holy Spirit for the specific purpose of spreading the gospel, right? And preparing the way for Jesus. Um, back in the Old Testament, it talks about the Messiah in Isaiah eleven two. It says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. So these are all things that the spirit gave to those prophets and to Jesus. Power, judgment, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. And just generally the ability to convey the truth of God's will to his people. You might notice that uh, all of those things that the spirit gives, uh, even to these very special people, these prophets to Jesus, these are not normal people um, is for a very specific purpose. And that's to spread or to carry out the will of God Uh, and things like joy and happiness and good feelings and fellowship uh, and even the ability to perform miracles is not really mentioned in these It's all internal. It's about giving people a will and a desire to serve God and to spread his word and the strength to do that. Um, When we get to the New Testament, uh, of course, it's all about Jesus in these in these first couple of books. Um, And the Holy Spirit is present through the life of Jesus beginning to end in Matthew 120. Uh, the angel talks to Joseph and in Luke one thirty five, an angel talks to Mary. And in both cases, they are told that Jesus is conceived by the Holy Ghost. In Luke three twenty two, the spirit is present at Jesus baptism. And it says, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, thou art my beloved son in thee. I am well pleased. So you might think that Jesus being the Lord, his ministry and miracles that he performed would be accomplished entirely through his own power. 
but that's not what the scriptures say. Jesus worked through the Holy Ghost. That was the avenue by which he accomplished um, his ministry. Um, in Luke 4, 1, it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then later on in verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. Um, a little bit further down in verse 18, it's uh, uh, Jesus is reading out of a book of Isaiah in the synagogue that some people had brought him. So, you know, this was a common practice was to just take the, the old scriptures and to read them out loud uh, in the synagogue. And this was really important in a time when most people couldn't read. Um, and Jesus is quoting, I believe it's Isaiah 61. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down and all the eyes uh, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day, this is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So Jesus said he is that person that is filled with the spirit. Uh, he is the person that does all of those things that were listed. Um, so Jesus was filled by the Holy Spirit and he was led by the spirit during his ministry. It's interesting to me that you see a change here from the old prophets. Um, so uh, most of those old prophets were on a mission often to condemn uh, the disobedience of the children of Israel or to deliver warning or judgment. Uh, and often it was to the rich and the powerful, uh, like people like the king usually. Uh, in this case, you have the spirit of the Lord coming upon Jesus, uh, not to condemn, but to preach to the poor, right? The opposite of the rich and the wealthy, right? Um, he is, he's spreading the gospel. He's healing people. Uh, he's preaching deliverance, Right. So it's a very different outlook on the Holy Spirit when it comes to Jesus, as opposed to these prophets that came before him. Uh, later on, um, it says uh, um, in Corinthians, second Corinthians three seventeen. Uh, so previously it said it said that the Lord uh, to set at liberty them that are bruised. And later on in second Corinthians three seventeen, it says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Right. So Paul is affirming this, this idea that uh, liberty or freedom is comes from the spirit and it's liberty or freedom from the condemnation of the law. So when Jesus performed miracles, he did so through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew twelve twenty eight, it says, but if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. So, you know, Jesus worked through the Holy Spirit in his ministry. Um, now, from all these passages, you might think that the Holy Spirit is only there on special occasions or for very special people like Jesus and the apostles and the prophets. Uh, but that's not true, at least not anymore. It isn't. Uh, Jesus says in John fourteen sixteen, I will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter. Uh, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth within, with you and shall be in you. So Jesus is telling his disciples 
that he's about to leave this world. Jesus isn't going to be here forever with you, but God is going to send somebody else who's never going to leave, the Holy Spirit. And what is that Holy Spirit? He is a comforter. Um, later on in verse 26, so John 14, 26, it says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, just in case you're confused about who the, who the comforter is going to be, it's the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So the Holy Spirit is the truth. He is a comforter that abides with us always and that dwells within us and teaches us and reminds us of his word. Uh, Later on, it's made clear by Paul that the Holy Spirit is the avenue by which Christ becomes effectual in our lives. The Holy Spirit regenerates us, or you could say he quickens us, or you could say he gives us a new birth. Um, In other words, he transforms us from a spiritually dead state to a spiritually living state. Romans 8, 9 says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But if and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So how do we have the new birth? Because the spirit dwells within us. Second um, Corinthians 3, 3, later on, Paul says, For so much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us. What does that mean to say that we're an epistle of Christ? An epistle is just a letter. It's a message. Um, We are the message of Christ to the world. Uh, And it says it's not a message like like a normal message. Like it's not it's not the Bible. It says written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in the fleshy tables of the heart. So God changes us um, through the Holy Spirit. Uh, If you're ever asking yourself for a message from Christ today, if you look at the Bible and you say, well, this isn't enough. It's old words. I don't know if these are right. I don't know if these are true. They were written a long time ago. If you're ever asking yourself for a message from Christ today, look at those people that are filled with the spirit. Those people whose lives are changed by Christ. They are the message from God to you. Um, An Old Testament verse that I left out from earlier that's relevant here is Ezekiel 36, 26. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. So when God's spirit comes into you, there is a change. Um, Romans fifteen thirteen says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost is not just a comforter. Um, he's also a source of hope and belief. I guess those things are comfort, aren't they? And that hope and belief fills us with joy and peace. Uh, in Romans eight twenty six it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. In this case, he's not talking about our physical health. In this case, he's talking about our inability to pray in the way that we should. He follows that with saying, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. 
but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts know, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Um, so who is he that searches the heart? In Jeremiah 17.10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. So this is saying, um, the Lord knoweth the mind of the Spirit. And because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So the Spirit and God the Father work perfectly in union uh, to, to make intercession for us. Uh, there are scriptures where the Holy Spirit gives the prophets and the apostles and other believers miraculous powers. Those do exist, right? But this is always done with a very specific purpose. To spread the commands of God and the, the gospel, the word of God. Um, Paul tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is. And he goes into a lot of detail. And he, he tells us what it means to walk in the Spirit. Okay? And it, it, he never mentions things like speaking in tongues or healing people. That's not what he says is walking in the Spirit. That's not what he says are the fruit of the Spirit. Um, in Galatians 5.5, 5, it says, For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. In other words, through the Spirit we have patience. We have steadfastness. Uh, in verse 16, he goes on to say, This I say then, walk in the Spirit. So he's giving us a command. Walk in the Spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. So that the Spirit of God is always contending against our flesh, and our spirit, our flesh is contending against the Spirit of God. Because he says, these are contrary to one another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Those things that you want to do, the things that the flesh wants to do, you can't do those things if you're in this walking in the Spirit. But if ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. So that's not even the complete list. There's more, but he just doesn't enumerate them all, right? So lots of terrible things, uh, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in the past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So looking at that list that Paul gives, uh, what do nearly all of those things, all of those um, works of the flesh have in common? I'd say mostly it's selfishness. Uh, it's lack of self-control. It's an inappropriate dissatisfaction with what a person rightfully has. You want more than you're rightfully owed or entitled to or have worked for. You're selfish and you're out of control. So in contrast, Paul says in verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, peace. I'm sorry, love, joy, peace, long suffering. What's long suffering? That's just patience, right? Gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. What's temperance? It's self-control against such. There's no law. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. These are all good things. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit and let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. 
So in contrast to the fruit of the, of the flesh, which is wrapped up in selfishness, lack of self-control and dissatisfaction, the Holy Spirit gives us love for others, self-control and patience. Uh, Paul also cautions later in Ephesians 5, 8, uh, he says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. So I think one way that you can interpret that advice is don't try to replace the Holy Spirit with something that is of worldly origin. For example, alcohol or drugs or really anything other than the spirit. The spirit can give you all of those things that you really deep down want. Uh, For the prophets and apostles and Jesus himself uh, being filled with the spirit was manifest as power, judgment, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord and the ability to convey God's will to his people. Uh, for most Christians, though, those people that are not apostles and prophets and, you know, Jesus himself, uh, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is comfort, the remembrance of the gospel, a softening, a softening of the heart through the new birth, uh, a love for others, faith, joy, peace, hope, self-control, right, um, patience, goodness. And just generally the ability to recognize and to have a desire to resist the things of the flesh. That doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy to resist the things of the flesh. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be the obvious uh, thing to do, right? Or that we'll always succeed in resisting temptation. Uh, If it were the case, I don't think Paul would have bothered writing this down. And he obviously said this multiple times to them. And he said it to other churches Uh, He wouldn't have admonished them about the things that were wrong and say, walk in the spirit. Right. But he felt that was necessary to do for them. Um, I've said all this just to point this out, uh, that if you're looking for the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your own life uh, or in the lives of others, other Christians or just the church in general, uh, there's certainly a lot more to it than just an emotional high on Sunday morning that you might experience for a few minutes while you're listening to the music or to the singing. It's more than just a good fuzzy feeling. Um, And there's certainly more to it than uh, miraculous uh, events like spontaneously speaking in tongues. Um, So don't be discouraged or disappointed if you don't always see or feel those things on Sunday morning. Um, And certainly don't manufacture it or create it uh, out of some misplaced desire to help out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants you to speak in tongues. Trust me, you'll speak in tongues, right? You don't have to, you don't have to hope for it or worry about it or, or think you, you have to do something to help God out. Um, in other words, being filled with the spirit isn't meant to be some fantastic or unusual thing like speaking in tongues uh, and being filled with the spirit. Isn't just something that should happen to us on Sunday morning. Uh, being filled with the spirit should be something that we Uh, do every day. It's something that should be evident in our lives and how we interact with other people. Appreciate the continued interest in your prayers. I appreciate what Brother David has brought forth. We had not discussed the uh, topic that he was going to speak on. The, I don't generally title a message, but I'll uh, share what my thoughts were. And this is out of Numbers chapter 14. Caleb, a man of another spirit. Great story here in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. 
And leading up to it in the book of Exodus, it says that the Lord saw the affliction of his people and the Lord was touched with their infirmities and the challenges that they were experiencing. And it said that God looked upon the affliction of his people, chapter three, verse seven, and said, I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, taskmasters, and I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land, a large land flowing with milk and honey, meaning it is a prosperous land. It is a wonderful land. God calls Moses in Exodus to lead his people into a promised land, into a good land. And God said, I'm going to take care of leading you there. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to go with a pillar of fire by night and by cloud in the daytime. And I will be with you and I will direct you into this land that I'm giving you. But then if we fast forward over into Numbers chapter 13, it says that Moses, and it's almost as a permission that God allows right here, that Moses calls 12 men to go out and to spy the land, to look over into the land, to check the land out. And it's interesting that of those 12 that went, they all saw the same thing. But two of them came back, Joshua and Caleb, and gave a different interpretation of the land. And it just simply says in chapter 14 that what Caleb and Joshua and all the other ones that were of the tribes of Israel that they saw, they saw the same thing. But they came back and they gave a different report. And it said that the two that went, Joshua and Caleb, the report that they gave when they came back, it was summarized of them that they were of a different spirit. So they had some insight there. They had some encouragement. They had some direction there that maybe others did not have. Now, here's what they saw when they went to the land. God had, and, and keep in mind that God had already told them, I'm going to give you the land. I am going to lead you to the land. The land is prosperous and the land is flowing with milk and honey. And it says that as they went, that this is what they saw. When they came to the brook, they cut down from thence a branch, a cluster of grapes, and they bare them between two upon a staff, and they brought up the pomegranates and the figs. It, it was a prosperous land that the grapes that they, uh, that they took were so large that the men had to put them on two staves between them and carry them on the staves because the, the land was so prosperous. The grapes were so large. I, I don't know if any of you here have ever gone to uh, to California and into the northern part of the state. And this is what I think of when I think about this land into the Redwood Forest. Has anybody here ever been to the Redwood Forest and, and, and seen the Redwood Forest? 
it, it just looks abnormal. I mean, it really it did to me. That's how I perceived it. The trees were so tall and the trees were so large that they just looked absolutely abnormal. And that's almost what this looked like right here. That the prosperity of the land was so prosperous that it looked just almost abnormal to these folks. And it says that they they took the, the grapes and they took the figs and the pomegranates back. And it says that uh, at, they returned after searching the land for 40 days. And it says they, they gave a report. The people were all gathered around and Moses gathered the people around Moses and Aaron to hear the report of the land. And so those that went to seek out the land, the 12 that went to seek out the land, they said, yes, it's a prosperous land. It is a prosperous land. The fruit is tremendous. It's, it's, it's a fruitful land. It is a prosperous land. But they said there's what we witnessed. There's some giants in the land. There's some enemies in the land. There's some obstacles in the land. And so they began to tell the folks, they said, you know, we're, we're, it is a, it's a prosperous land, all right. But we're afraid, and I'm paraphrasing all this, I'd encourage you to go home and read Numbers 13 and 14. It's really, really good. You would really get a blessing out of it if you'll read Numbers chapter 13 and 14. They said, this is a prosperous land. It is a, it is a wonderful land, but there's obstacles in the land. Now, isn't that just life? I mean, in, in every area of our life, it's not perfect. And there's obstacles and there's challenges. And that's the way it's going to be here in this life. But how do we view it? I remember Sister Perry. I learned so many lessons from her. I think that's why the Lord kept her around to 104 years of age. Is because he knew that I needed to, all these lessons that she could teach. And I remember one day on the way to church. And she was well over 100 years old. Uh, had all kinds of challenges. But she, I said, Sister Perry, how is it that you always are so positive? That every area of your life that, that, that you have such a positive approach. She said, I learned a long time ago that if I could get my mind in the right direction, when I start off in the morning thinking about the Lord, the promises of the Lord, the strength of the Lord, she said it made a tremendous difference the rest of the day. And she said, that helped me. I wish I could always remember to do that. She was a great example. And she did that until the Lord took her home at 104 years of age. She was still talking about the goodness of the Lord. They saw the same thing. Why is it that some would come and give a report when they saw the very same thing and said, we can't take the land. It's too overwhelming for us. There's too many obstacles. There's too many challenges along the way. You know, I think that's probably one of the reasons that uh, that Nehemiah. When Nehemiah was going to go out and search the city and the walls of the city, that Nehemiah didn't take a whole lot of folks with him. In fact, Nehemiah didn't have a great discussion with a lot of people before he went and looked at the walls of the city. Because very likely, God had put it in the heart of Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. 
And if Nehemiah had discussed this or asked for a whole host of opinions, there'd probably been the majority that would say, Nehemiah, you've lost it. It's, it's too far gone. Who are you? You don't have the strength to overcome it. What do you think you're doing there? I think that's probably one of the reasons that Nehemiah, when God put it upon his heart, he went out and he searched it. A few folks went with him and then he left him aside and he went and searched the, the, the rebel, uh, the, the, uh, all of the rubble around. And God had put it upon his heart. I'd say Nehemiah was a man of a different spirit. He was. So when isn't it amazing how that we're this natural man in us, we're prone to latch on to a bad report. I mean, that's just kind of how we have a tendency to drift into bad news, a bad report. And so these 10 individuals right here who saw the same thing, they began to give a bad report and they said, There's giants in the land, there's obstacles in the land, there's challenges in the land. And if we go in that land, we're going to be overwhelmed and overtaken and we cannot take the land. Now, I wonder why those 10 didn't remember that God had promised that he'd already given them the land. You know, one of the ways to help keep your thinking right is to remember God's word. You know, one way to remember God's word is to read God's word, is to think on God's word. I tell you what, through the last couple of years with the challenges that we've had, I have to tell you that the promises that are in God's word, they help us a whole lot through those times. They really do. And it's a great blessing if you're going through a challenge or you're going through a difficult time. If you can all of a sudden, if God blesses a scripture to come to mind or a promise to come to mind, and that will encourage you in the midst of a difficult and a challenging time. I expect that Joshua and Caleb remembered that God had already given them the land. And they just said, we need to go take what God has already given us. We need to be faithful and go. But the majority of the people, the majority of the people listened to the bad news and they got stirred up and they wanted to stone Moses. And they said, I think we'll just pick us another leader because we don't like the report that we're hearing. They said, we'd rather we just as soon stayed back in Egypt and died in Egypt rather than to come out here and to die in in this new land in taking this new land. Did you know that God did not take it lightly? Their unbelief and their uh, their bitter complaining against Moses and Aaron. And God, in fact, God was, was going to judge. It appeared that God was going to judge all the people. And Moses went on their behalf and pleaded their case. And but God did judge. And God did say, he said, those that did not believe of 20 and age 20 and above, they're not going to inherit the land. They're not going to go over into the land. He says their carcasses will fall right here in the wilderness. They'll not partake of the land. What's the lesson right there? It's real important on what report we do listen to. It really is. You can hear a lot of information. You can hear a lot of reports. You can hear a lot of opinions, but it's important which one you're listening to. Is it the right one? 
those folks were judged because they listened and they took heed to the wrong report. It, it, it comes on down and as they were going to stone Moses and seek another leader. It says that Joshua and Caleb. It says Joshua and Caleb told the folks. They said we can't take the land. God has given us this land and we can take the land and we should take the land. And as a result, God who knows all God who sees all. God looked down and he saw the encouragement that Joshua and Caleb were giving the folks and, 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 and Moses and those that were around. And, and, and God said, those that, that express their unbelief and their doubt, they're not going to experience the goodness of the land. But he said, those that believed that the land was given unto them, Joshua and Caleb themselves will also inherit the land and get the benefit of the land. What is, what is the blessing of following God and God's word? God always follows with the blessing. He goes before with the blessing. He has a blessing all around us. And then there's a blessing behind when we look to the Lord along the way. There may be some challenges. There may be some obstacles. There may be some difficulties in your life. But I tell you, if you just look to the Lord and you look to the Lord's word and you lean on the Lord and you get counsel from godly men and godly women and you take heed to that counsel and then you do that counsel, God will bless you in the doing, not only in the hearing, not only in the knowing, but God will bless you in the doing. If we have light, we're supposed to walk in it. Joshua and Caleb were men of another spirit. We need to be Joshua's and Caleb's. We need, uh, I tell you, in the day in which we live, we certainly need Joshua and Caleb's men of another spirit. May God bless you.